thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast from ABF, The Soldiers' Charity. I'm Lorraine Kelly. The Soldiers' Charity is 75 years old this year and this series of podcasts is our way of sharing a few of the stories of some of the people it helps. Today, I'll be introducing you to two people whose lives were changed forever by war and conflict and finding out how they've adapted to their new circumstances. In October 2009, while on patrol with 3rd Battalion the Yorkshire Regiment in Afghanistan, Corporal Andy Reid stood on an improvised explosive device. As a result of the explosion, he lost his right leg below the knee, his left leg above the knee and his right arm. It's just adapting, isn't it, to life and, and life throws you new challenges all the time, don't you? Every day is a new challenge, be it with physical injuries or with PTSD and mental health injuries. Every day is a new challenge. You may come across a new thing that you didn't think would trigger you off. John Cutting served in the Royal Engineers from 1970 to 1974 and was sent on back-to-back tours of Northern Ireland at the height of the Troubles. John has PTSD, which he puts down to his experiences during that time. Today, he continues to deal with his mental health challenges, but he's found that studying and making art helps him find a sense of stability. The art for me wasn't just being creative. It's totally honed my concentration. It takes your mind and your focus away from your flashbacks, from your memories. You go into another world. Here are Andy and John speaking in Durham recently with Dave Roberts. We can talk about PTSD. I don't think I'm a syndrome and I certainly don't think I'm a disorder. I'm an ex-serviceman with a brain injury. I've got a brain injury that's got scars. That's how you've got to approach it. You're not just kind of in an envelope with everybody else with a disorder or syndrome. You're an individual and you've got to approach how you deal with PTSD or PTSD-I, as I would say, you've got, to, you've got to hone how you do that yourself. The analogy I've got is that my head now is an earthquake. Inside my head is all this molten mass floating around, and it's level. And what happens is to me, I think something will happen, and I'll get a spike. And you get these all the time. And every time I get a little mini earthquake, the surface of that water ripples. So you've got to avoid those little mini spikes, but you can't avoid them because you're continually being exposed to them, right? It's the big spikes you've got to avoid. Concentration, not allowing yourself to go back to your history, keeps you sane. Because the bigger the spikes, till it comes, you just can't control it. And it becomes an eruption. And what do you do? Do you kill yourself? I've thought about it a few times because I've let these eruptions in my head. One of the side effects of my mind is, is hypervigilance. I can't walk down the street. If a car's coming along to me, I have to stare into that car. I have to analyse what's in that car. Are the people in there, is it a shoot? Are they shoot me? Is it, is it drive-by shooting? I have to analyse the contents of that car. I've tried, I said, John, you've got to stop doing it. You, you're upsetting people. It's the same as somebody walking along towards me. If they're walking towards me, if they catch my eye in some way, I stare at them. And I don't just look at them, I stare right into their eyes. 
Upstairs windows, particularly on tourist streets, so you see somebody looking out of the window. Your attention is drawn straight to that. It was a threat. That's where you used to get shot from. From windows, from cars, around corners. So you're constantly looking to see where them 30s come from. I've been to see councillors. I've been to three, three national health councillors. The third one just said, well, nothing I can do for you. I sent you to the, to the crisis team. And there isn't nothing you can do. The only way you can deal with post-traumatic stress is to manage it. Two or three times I've kind of got to the stage where I thought, well, just fill, fill, fill a bottle, glass full of tablets and, and go to sleep and not wake up. And it's easy to get to that stage. So you're constantly you're being hypervigilant about your environment, but you've also got to be hypervigilant about yourself, which road you're going down. You've got to keep away from the spikes. Andy, so your disability is obviously much more obvious than John's to people in the street or to people you, you generally meet. But how do you relate to what John's just been saying about how he's had to cope with uh, what he's experienced? Yeah, also my injuries are quite are quite obvious and I, I wear shorts and T-shirt nearly all year round. It, well, it's twofold really. One, so people can see that I've lost my limbs, so hopefully they'll open a door for me or help me carry a bag or get on and off the train. Or if you're in London, quite a lot of people just walking around super busy. So by wearing shorts, it's obvious that I've lost both my legs and hopefully they'll move out my way or, like I say, help me out a little bit. Being an amputee, I'm also get a lot hotter because I've got the same amount of blood in my body, but less places for it to go to. I'd go, go and do the school run in the morning at 8 o'clock and I've got shorts and T-shirts on, everyone thinks I'm mad, but it's just because I'm, I'm red hot um, nearly all the time. So, yeah, my injuries are quite obvious, but I've also got other injuries as well. You know, I've got PTSD myself and... My biggest injury that I've got that no one can see is I've got tinnitus. So in this room now where it's quite quiet, I can hear this white noise inside my head at the moment and it's uh, constantly something that you can't that you can't turn off. But my way of dealing with it is, is probably opposite to John's, really. You know, I also do the motivational speaking and speak at schools and businesses and things like that. And for me, by telling my story, that helps me offload it out of my mind and by talking about it and things that I've done in the armed forces and and the things that happened on the day that that I got injured and and my recovery that helps me deal with that and and analyze it and realize that I did make correct decision at certain times sometimes I made the wrong decision but that but that helps me I think like John said it is an individual thing it's not something that is what what's right for one person is not right for some for somebody else. But I think, like John says, by keeping yourself busy, and John saying that he's always thinking about art all the time, that keeps him focused on that, so his mind's not wandering off about other things. I think by keeping yourself busy, that's what helps me keep myself moving moving forward. That can then have a, a detrimental effect as well because you get busy. So you're that busy, then you get worn down and you get tired. And that's when these thoughts can then come and creep into your mind when you're quite tired and run down. I think it's realising, like John said, about the small spikes. And big spikes, it's about realising what your trigger is and then and figuring out what your coping mechanism is for that. We've been given this label that we've all got, PTSD, like you're saying, I think that's wrong to label people because it's individual to each person and 
for me it's, it's getting more speaking engagements and and having the young family as well I'm, I'm, I'm busy looking after them as well I'm doing charity events you know I love supporting the soldiers charity and, and I like doing challenges for them and you know, once you start getting into this, where you need to get sponsorship, then you need to organise what route you're going to take and how you're going to do it. It, it keeps you busy, doesn't it? It, it? it takes over, really. So then you're not thinking about actually the past and, and what happened at certain events during your army career. The point you made earlier about you've got visible injuries and it helps you. I haven't got visible injuries. I've got multiple injuries inside, in the brain. Because you can't be a servant soldier and and just have PTSD or what you, uh, I call it injury. You can't just have it once. So the, the soldiers have it, you might be experienced to that same, that, that, that same event or similar events continually for, for days, for weeks. I have four or five different incidents which stick in my mind. Stick in my mind when I go to bed. I kind of like, have nightmares about Nine out of ten times I wake up, I've wet myself in the bed during the night. You've got to cope with that. It's, I mean, I'm 65 years old and I'm wet in the bed. It's not a very nice thing to do. But going back to Andy's point about his visible injuries, mine aren't. One of the triggers I have is jobs with. You're going somewhere and somebody, you'll talk to somebody and somebody opposite probably been sat behind that desk for 35 years and they sit there and they're the Hitlers, they know in control. You try to talk to them. You try to communicate with them. And it's just, you get this like a brick wall effect. I just start to burn. I have to get out. And it's just that level of fear that you get, because it's all fear. That level of fear, you fear that situation. If I had a, a big sign on my head, brain injury, they probably would be like Andy, they'd help me. But because I haven't got that sign, people just ignore it. You, they don't realise that their actions are really a trigger for yourself. I'm sure Andy has had the same situation. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it, sometimes? But I think, like you said, you know, I'm a big thing of promoting um, invisible wounds and, and, and hidden injuries because, like you say, I get a lot of respect. People stop me in the street and say, oh, thank you for what you've done, thank you for your service, and they probably wouldn't say that to yourself because they can't see no. that you've been in the forces. And we're a bit shy ourselves at promoting who we are and what, and what we've done. Like, I don't wear a veteran's badge because I, I don't really see myself as as a, as a veteran. I'm not I'm not 95, I didn't storm D-Day Beach, you know what I mean? I, I see that generation, my grandfather was in the Second World War, a lot, a lot of respect for them people. And at 43 myself, I'm, I'm not really ready to be wearing a veteran's badge every day, whereas maybe if we did though, then people will see that you're a veteran and then they might go, oh, this guy may or may not have some issues or they may say thank you for your service so I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a it's a tough one isn't it because I don't know John do you wear a veteran's badge on a, a daily basis or just maybe when you're at a, a, a posh event and you've got a suit jacket on you might put it on but... I, I put it on me when I wear my blazer but I don't put it on otherwise but it, 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 people don't recognise what you're saying they don't recognise you as you are and they don't so, so constantly they don't they don't appreciate how their attitude, how they approach you, how they talk to you. Most people in the street don't make allowances like they would make for Andy because they don't, they're not aware of it. And it can be quite, it can, for, 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 for an ex-serviceman who's, who's kind of like, who's kind of fearful, who's kind of on the edge all the time. Because when, when your spikes start getting higher, you are on edge all the time. 
I can't go into a into a busy bar. I'll catch somebody's eye and I'll just stare at them. I'll stare them out and end up in trouble. And what it's about, it's the noise. People get drink, they get alcohol, they get louder. I can relate that back to probably my times in Ireland with the riots. The fear of noise, the fear of groups of people. How do you think your attitude to your own condition has changed over the, over the years? Prior to me getting the, the support from the, uh, from the Soros charity, I was very aggressive. I used to play rugby and I was quite aggressive. I used to channel all my frustration through aggression. But I don't now. I seem to have found a, a path in life now that I want to follow until I got the opportunity to do this art I didn't have. So my life's completely changed around. Andy, as you think your attitude to your disabilities has changed over the last 10 years? It's been 10 years this year since, since I was injured, so it's quite a, a big year for me really this year. But my attitude straight away, as you know, is I'm surviving not a victim and, and, I'm, and I'm still here and I'm going to start setting myself some goals and start moving forward and... I don't really see myself as a as a disabled person. I'm a, I'm an injured veteran, and that, you know that's what that's what I am, and that's what that's what I'm about. And and hopefully by doing these challenges and doing the bits and bobs that I do, I can I can help inspire other people who've been injured or other civilians who have been injured in in um, car crashes or, or or whatever, and hope inspire them to show them what can still be achieved. I've matured more. I, I understand a bit more about the things that, that have been undone and the, and the conflicts I was involved in. So I think as you mature more and you, and you meet other people like John who's, who's got similar um, mental health injuries or PTSD injuries as you've got, you realise that you're not, you're not alone, it's not just you who's struggling with these situations that you've been in, all these things that you've, that you've, that you've seen and done. You know, I go to a lot of these veterans' um, breakfast clubs where you can get a sandbag out and you can sit around the brew and chat to other veterans and kind of stay within that within that circle of mixing with those people, have a bit of banter, but then you can step away from it at any time that, that, that you want and, and have some you time or have some, some family time. But knowing that that club's there, that you can go to um, any time you want and speak to like-minded people, I think is very important. I've got my own bar back at home so I know in my bar, I can feel safe in my bar. And that's probably one of the reasons why maybe I, I decided to open my own bar six years ago now, this year, because it's a place I can go and drink and I feel safe. The Soldiers Charity, the ABF, they've, they've changed my life. In fact, they haven't changed my life. They've created a life for me, a life I didn't have. I now have a life with the support I get from, from the Soldiers Charity, a life that I'm going to be happy with you know, and productive and creative. But without their support, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got that. They've allowed me to, to go to university. I would have probably just stayed recluse. They have really made a difference to my life. Uh, well, for myself, when I was immediately injured in um, October 2009, uh, I decided to, with the doctor that I wanted to go home for a weekend. And uh, to make that possible, the soldiers charity within 10 days of me being injured, put a, a ramp up to my front door turned my front door around and put a bed downstairs so I could get home and spend some immediate time um, with my family. And then they've continued on that journey of supporting me. Uh, when I moved to a more suitable property, they put a, a lift in the garage, a through floor lift in the garage so I could access the full house. 
the give me the funding that I required to go and do a motivational speaking course so I could provide that um, future employment for myself and that secure um, future for myself and, and for the family. So you know, they've been on the on this journey that I've had for the last 10 years and um, I've been an ambassador for the Soldiers Charity for the last nine years. You're at college? University. University. Get it right. Sorry. Yeah, at university with lots of, uh, obviously, young students as, uh, on your course. How, how do they respond when they get to know you? How do they, how do they understand? They don't have a clue about what I've been through. I kind of don't broadcast it. Normally what happens is you tell, you tell somebody you've been in a hostile environment, the first question they ask is, how many people have you killed? Have you killed anybody? That's the first, and then that just kills the conversation for me. It's just the wrong thing to ask an ex-serviceman, particularly those that's got an injury. So I don't really tell them, but I'm kind of like a father figure to some of them. They all know I'm doing well. They all know I'm teacher's pet. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of like, yeah, I got on great with them. Like for me, by going and doing my presentation at a school, by telling that story to that generation of places we've done and decisions that we've made and friends that we've lost and been injured ourselves, it is educating the next generation that if they do see someone maybe wearing that veteran's badge, they may think twice before they say a certain thing or before they speak to you in a negative way, they might go, I remember that time John was in my art class and he told me some of the things that he'd been through. And the next time they see a veteran, they might go over and say, oh, thank you for your service. Or I've been stopped many a time in my local Asda by a dad who said, oh, you spoke at my son's school and now he's come home and he talks about goal setting and he talks about you making your bed even though you were living in a mud hut in Afghan, you still made your bed every morning and now he started making his bed every day and he started prioritising. So I think, you know, by talking about these things, it's educating the next generation and making them aware of what guys like yourself and me have, have done and been through. So then they will have that extra bit of, of respect. I'm in a different environment to you. You living in Manchester, is it? Manchester, Salford? Well, St. Helens, yeah, St. Near, Helens. near Manchester, St. yeah, yeah. St. Helens, you're in a kind of like a, in the centre, if you want, within, say, 50 miles, you're, you're, you've got loads of places to go and visit and see. You've got loads of, of, of army veteran organisations probably in your area. You're involved in the speaking. Well, I'm not in that crowd. Living here where I live in County Durham, it isn't probably the easiest place to do that. Even if at that college that you're at, or the university, sorry, that, that you're yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, get it right, get it right. Yeah, the, the uni that, that you're at, you're working in the, art, in the art department, but there will be people in that uni who's on uniform services who are looking at joining the army or the police or whatever, and, and even the other elements of, of, uh, of the uni, nursing at the uni and things like that. And I think you've probably the opportunity there for you to go and talk to other departments within the uni. And once, once you tell one or two people, then that message then filters out, doesn't it? Because they'll go and say, hey, you know, I had a cup of coffee with that John guy the other day. What a guy, what a life he's lived, what, what a journey that he's been on. And, and they may engage more and, and then not give you that. I, f I fully understand what you're saying and I would love to do that, but I can't take that step on my own. Mm. I can't. I, I have difficulties, I said, going to, going to pubs, 
I have difficulties meeting people like in that environment. But is it the sculpture and the art that you do now? Now you've found that as something that you do. Is it the art that actually, through that, that you're actually speaking to others? You were explaining earlier about the horse's head and its rage, the fact that the the face is is angry or is 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 uh, distraught, and and that that was part of you being uh, was in that sculpture. Yes, it, it, it would be right. Yes, the horse's head, barley rage. I was really in a bad place when I made that, and I tried to express that in its face. How it's taunted in pain, because I was in pain at that particular time, and making that head, and I looked at it, and that gave me some relief. Not just making the head, but writing about it, talking to myself about it, that allowed so much to come out. Some of my art, I've, I, I kind of like, I did some pieces on the grotesque, and what I did, I got some, made some heads. I put kitchen knives through the heads and covered them with red paint and then put them in nice little boxes. Why I did that? I don't know. I just got this inspiration of death and unnecessary killing. And I've still got them, but I've took the kitchen knives home. <laughs> yeah, it did. I, so, so there is some element within the art which is allowing me to express my feelings, probably my subconscious feelings. I think that, that's, that particular piece of work was. What does the future hold for you, Andy? What does the future look like now? You're 10 years in from your, in, your injury. What does the next 10 look like for you? Yeah, well, this this year like would have been the 10-year the anniversary of being injured, and it also coincides with it would have been my 22-year point in the army as well. So I would have naturally left the army this year and look to have, get a new career in whatever that would be. So for me now, with these um, ambassador roles that I've got with these different organisations like Mawson's and Totally Wicked and, and the Step Forward Housing and the, um, and the Solicitor's Company, it's just been a continued journey really, a natural progression of leaving the army, getting a, getting a job and, and moving on. And obviously having the young family as well, you know, having William, who's now six, and Scarlett, who's like one, having a one-year-old at 42, that does keep you quite busy and working hard and providing the, the, the correct values and standards and being a role model for my, for my kids uh, moving forward. So my focus has changed a little bit. My attention more is about working hard and providing a um, secure future for the, for the, for the kids and, and just being, a, being around for them. And it's, it's slightly different because obviously with the injuries that I've got, I can't play football with, with, with William. I can't run around a, a football pitch or, or play rugby with him. I'd love to be able to play rugby with him. We can, we can throw and catch a ball, but, you know, it's just adapting, isn't it, to, to life. And, and life throws you new challenges all the time. Don't say every day is a, is a new challenge, be it with physical injuries or, or with, with PTSD and mental health injuries. Every day is a new challenge. You may come across a new thing that you didn't think would trigger you off, but but it has and then you've got a, a deal with that so like I live quite rural got farmers fields either side of me and this time of year probably the next couple of weeks he'll put his, his gun thing for scare the pigeons that just fires a shot to keep his pigeons away he'll probably put that in his field again and that just goes off randomly three or four times a, a day and if I'm in the garden at that time and all of a sudden it feels like someone's firing a shotgun 
it puts you on the on the back foot. But I know that at this time of year, that's going to start happening. So you've just got got to be aware of that. I struggle with noises from behind. If I can see where the noise is coming from, no problem. It doesn't have to be a loud band, it doesn't have to be a shotgun, anything. It's that surprise of, of unawareness that, that that's just behind you. You just get that sinking feeling all the way down, just for that split second. It's like, like bonfire night, and people going about bonfire night and veterans with PTSD and bonfire nights and all this, but end of the day, you, 5th of November, you know it's bonfire night. Yeah, you, you So you're aware that there's going to be fireworks going off. And as long as you're aware that's going to be happening, that's great. It's why if it's like your next door neighbour is having a family party in September and sets some fireworks off because it's caught you off guard, exactly. then you're not then you're not aware of it. But and I, th- I think it's just something that's gonna you just have to move forward with as you move on with your journey of of life, and hopefully you'll come to understand yourself better and understand your own mind better. So then you can deal with these things moving forward. I think the last thing that I would want it to do is that take control of me, that I get to the element, unfortunately, like John, where I don't want to go to the pub because these things may may happen or may not happen. So then you stop doing you stop doing that and you become a recluse and then you, you take, you, all you want to do is just think, well, if I stay in, I'm aware of what's going on. I, I kind of fell into that trap, what you've just said. I kind of withdrew too much. Became not, I didn't become really close, but I surrounded myself entirely with a safe environment, and that meant not going out. Like, I should go out and mix with people. I've got to find environments where I can do that. But like I said earlier, where I live in the northeast, like-minded people, kind of, there's not many about. I think you should maybe set up, set up your own, John, you know, set up your own little art club where maybe other veterans who are in a similar situation to yourself can come... And you can give them guidance and support on how it's helped you. And one of the things when I finished university, what I want to do, I want to work as, a, as an artist. I want to be an artist in my own right. I don't want to go and work for anybody. I just want to be an artist. I want to produce my own work. But I like to do that in France. I'd like to just have a house, a studio space. Then I could do what you said. I could invite veterans to an art retreat in a warm environment. It's getting the support to get that established. I can do that quite easy. So, so in, the, in the more immediate future, you've got some plans for uh, an art exhibition, uh, an exhibition for Armistice Day. No, I, 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 did, did. I, I did it. You yeah. did that, sorry. I did you, that, tell, yeah. tell, tell, just tell us about that. Well, that was the, uh, it was the anniversary last year. Yeah. I got some local veterans to produce, to show their art kindly. I got the use of a... Uh, a shop with those four units in Newton Aycliffe, right in the town centre. We ended up about six veterans, and it was very well received. So the immediate future for you is finish the degree? Finish the degree, and then try and find somebody who's got some money in the house to <laughs> give me in France. I'd love to do that. If I could get somewhere that even it was run down, I'd quite happily get veterans to come over and just spend a month pottering around, doing a little bit, doing a bit of gardening, doing a bit of building, and then build this art retreat where veterans can come over in time and spend two weeks, three weeks, whatever they want to spend. You've been listening to Andy Reid and John Cutting speaking with Dave Roberts from the Soldiers' Charity. Thank you so much to both Andy and John for their time and their thoughts. 
Please do check out the rest of the podcasts in this series as every episode has people whose stories deserve to be heard. If you'd like to know more about ABF, the Soldiers Charity, in this, its 75th year, then just visit soldierscharity.org where you'll find everything you need. I'm Lorraine Kelly. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support.